the jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XM Out Q. How's that for non sequitur? <laughs> Just as the song ends, I say to, to Chris Columbus, Yeah, I got short legs too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but at least you're normally proportioned. Uh, I don't know about that. My legs are dangling at this point, but that's okay. Now I found a little. Comfort. See, I like. I enjoy the dangle. You <laughs> okay, you know what? There's no getting out of this. <laughs> that was new music, by the way, by a fellow from the UK. His name is Lawrence Taylor. That track is called Bang Bang. You're going to be hearing a lot of that. That's going to be a big hit. It's uh, just about 21 past the hour. You're listening to The Jolt on Sirius XM Out Q. I'm Larry Flick. And uh, the... God. You're like a legend. I, 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 yeah, I don't like you, to think of it that way. I want to stay young, you know. I know, but, well, you're a young legend. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've got shiny shoes. See, here's the thing about your feet dangling. Good socks. Thank you very much. I got, like, old tube socks on. You got <laughs> good socks. I had to do a TV appearance, so I had to look good. See, they never do yeah. it for us. No. Uh, Chris Columbus, the, uh, the man behind so many iconic movies. Mrs. Doubtfire, Home Alone. Adventures in Babysitting, Harry. Oh, Harry Potter. Oh yeah, those. You know, <laughs> small movies, indies. Right, exactly. Indies. <laughs> kind of movies. Kind of movies nobody's ever seen. Uh, has a brand new movie uh, opening shortly. It's called Pixels, and uh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thanks congratulations. A lot. What a great movie. Oh, thanks. I'm glad it's you liked it. It's hard to make a movie like this for this time of year and have it have any meat on the bone, isn't it? Well, it's such a crowded marketplace, but the great thing about our movie is, you know, in a summer of superheroes and sequels, yeah. we're an original, block. you know, I guess you'd qualify it as a blockbuster, but we're an original action-adventure comedy, which doesn't exist that much anymore, you know. But there's also real content in the movie. Right. Underneath the flash and the bang and the, the sizzle, is is something that you can hang your your mental hat on, if you will. So, uh, how how involved with um, like what what was it about this story? Let me let me ask you that. What was it about this story that sang to you? When I first read the script, I fell in love with these three characters, these kids who, in 1982, were the world video arcade champions, and you know, and they thought they were going to be the rock stars of the video world, and then suddenly the arcades close a couple of years later. And these guys are left with a useless skill. You cut to 2015, and they, they're still kind of lost souls, you know? So the mm. one, one guy is a conspiracy theorist. The other guy's been in jail. The other guy installs TVs for a living. And they just really haven't found their way in life. The one guy they thought was a loser growing up turns out to be the president of the United States. So he needs to get the, these guys together to fight the aliens because the military can't do it. These guys are the best of the best of the gaming world. And I thought that is such an emotionally sort of juicy way to begin a movie like this. There's an emotional core to the movie, and that's one of the reasons I fell in love with it. That's really, and that's what, what, what will grab anybody who loves movies mm -hmm. to watch this, because um, as, a, as a guy of a certain age who came, uh, you know, was a young man during the 80s, and there are times when I feel completely out of step. Right. Completely lost in this new world order that I have no choice because of my job, no choice but to find a way to deal with. Right. And so I, I watched the movie and I'm thinking, okay, so if your livelihood doesn't depend on keeping up 
and you're 52 like I am, mm-hmm. what does this world say to you? Right. And I feel like that's what this movie sort of addresses. Right. It's like, what is this movie? I mean, it's got everything that young people are going to want, mm-hmm. but if you're taking your kid to it, you're going to sit there and you're going to have a very deep moment watching this movie. Right. It, did it feel like you were directing two different movies at the same time? Not really. You know, I felt that one of the one of the things that was important for me, as well as the characters, was was the ability to create a visual effect visual effects that we haven't seen before. Mm. I mean, you know, visual effects are usually based on a reality based in some sense, even if it's a flying dragon or something. But in this sense, you're taking an eight bit video character and turning him into this forty like Pac Man, a forty foot character that needed to have some sense of danger, threat. So we made him lit from within. He's voxelized. He's threatening, but at the same time, he's a little charming. And everything he comes in contact with, any, everything any of these characters come in contact with, pixelate. So you're seeing destruction on a massive scale with these amazingly beautiful pixelated cubes. And I thought, well, wow, that's like a, a wild fever dream. I've never seen anything like it. So it was very exciting to create these visual effects, particularly in 3D. We designed the film in 3D, and it's it's one of those movies you really need to see in 3D. It doesn't work otherwise. When movies are retrofitted, mm-hmm. it, it feels a bit forced. Exactly. But, but so so uh, how different do you do you set up your shots or how different do you even conceive the movie in your in your fantasies? You just basically design it for 3D. If you're not thinking about 3D, a lot of directors just don't care about it, so they you, you know, you use post conversion and you can always tell we knew with pixels, we wanted the pixels to feel like they were literally among the audience. I had to, I had to get the audience to feel like they were literally within the video game. So there's no was, fourth wall then in your mind. There, no, there's no fourth wall. You want to take because it starts in 1982. Literally, as a director, you want to take the audience's hand and say, "You're invited into this world," mm. and that's that's what I love about the 3D of it all. You actually enter the world of 1982, and then you're you're hooked. So. When did you discover all the little crazy things going on in your brain? <laughs> like, were you just a boy with crazy imagination? I Were you staring at the sky when the rest of us were reading books? Or, like, what were you doing? I was probably um, drawing comic books. I mean, I drew my inspiration from Marvel Comics, uh, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, all of those comics. And then I would, you know, at night spend all of my time drawing comics. My goal was to move to New York and work for Stan Lee. I really thought that that would be my future. Then I discovered films and I heard about film school and I realized that the comics were basically a training ground for storyboarding films, as well as I didn't want to sit in a room alone for eight hours a day drawing you know, comic books. I mm-hmm. wanted to work with people. And that was the moment that changed everything for me, moving to New York and suddenly studying film. I just became obsessed with film. This is fascinating, and, and it, it seems like this explains why you can do this kind of movie and have it have soul. Because mm-hmm. so many of the, the the big crash, bang, boom movies that we're getting right now feel a bit empty at times because they don't always feel like they were conceived with the, with the spirit of someone who had pictures in his head all the time. Right. Um, what was, do you remember, do you remember those first movies that you fell in love with that lured you away from comic books? Yeah, it was oddly, um, two movies, The Godfather, obviously, which is mostly on everyone's top ten, if not their favorite film, and another movie, uh, Hard Day's Night, the Beatles movie, really, I I remember seeing it on NBC Saturday Night Movie or something, and I I was just, I fell in love with 
with making movies. There was such a joy and such a charm about mm. that movie. I just fell in love with making movies. And The Godfather really opened up my emotional side in terms of movie making, particularly The Godfather Part Two, when Michael Corleone says to his mother, can a man ever truly lose his family? That theme has kind of affected almost every movie I've done. You know, what happens if you lose your family? It's my biggest fear, losing my family. So I've incorporated that into every single film, you know, whether it's Kevin McAllister, whose family leaves him, whether it's Harry Potter, who's looking for a family, or whether it's, Miss, you know, Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire, who literally has to dress as a nanny to get his family back. So are you talking to, to uh, Chris Columbus here in The Jolt, and uh, the movie is called Pixels. Um, do you find regular people walking on the street? Uh, let me let me rephrase that. Do you look at regular people down the street and wonder what they look like as larger than life characters? Are you not intrigued by walk a day people? I'm intrigued by everyone. You know, I, I I've been very fortunate. I live in San Francisco. I never really had to spend that much time in Hollywood. I haven't really, never really sought out you know fame in terms of. Um, people knowing who I am. So mm. I leave, a, a you know, for a guy who's been making movies for 30 years practically, nobody really knows what I look like or what, you know, I, I walk the streets of San Francisco, nobody cares. And it's kind of great to have, to be anonymous in a way, because then you can, you know, you can do everything. I, I think of guys, I have friends who are actors, they can't even go to the grocery store. They, they can't leave their house. Mm. And that's just so sad to me, because then you lose the connection that brought you here in the first place. And that's, that's why I see, sometimes see directors or actors lose touch with who they originally were. And if you have the ability to just hang out with people every single day, you just you just draw on that, you know, for for inspiration. So you're just a good people watcher. A good people watcher, interactor. I, I love just being able to go out and do whatever I want to do without getting any hassle. The most hassle I get is, you know, leaving a car here in front of Sirius and having to sign a couple of Pixels posters. But that's because they know I'm coming. But right. that'll never happen again once I leave the studio. It's, it's, a, it's a good little balance. It's nice to kind of feel like a rock star every once in a while, but then just kind of fade. Because there's nothing more fun than watching the world. Oh, there's nothing more people. fun than being in the world. That's why I love living in Manhattan so much. I yeah. lived here for 17 years, and it was just its the greatest place to be outside. Yeah. It's funny, because I, I look at your movies, and, and, and Pixels is one of them, where you, 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 you see them when they're in their larger-than-life, their kind of their surreal surroundings, and you think, I bet he could just put on a suit. That's why I was asking you that question. I bet he could just put on a suit and just go walking down the street. They're real people. Mm -hmm. They're 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 relatable people. Right. Um, how do you feel? Because you're able, you you. If there's anything you have to agree, no amount of humility is going to let you off the hook. You have to agree that you've mastered the art of the big, the big larger than life, fantastical ideas with earthbound people and ideas. Right. Right. So how do you feel when people say? Earthbound stories can't be made into movies anymore. Um, it's that's a little frustrating because, and it's more and more frustrating because now we're going to have a bunch of Star Wars movies coming out, which I'm excited about, and more Harry Potter movies, plus more superhero movies, plus more sequels. It gets very difficult to make original content, to do an original movie. You know, this movie, Pixels, harkens back to the kind of movies I was writing in the 80s. That's exactly what I wanted to do. A movie like Gremlins or The Goonies, where you're actually creating a new movie for the summertime and you're not really thinking about it as a franchise that word franchise didn't exist 
back in the 80s. Mm. You made one movie. They made a sequel to Gremlins, but I remember thinking, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do the sequel to Gremlins. I've done it. I've done it once. Goonies, same thing. So there wasn't that sort of, I feel the same way about Pixels. We've done Pixels the right way. I can't even imagine you know, wa- wanting to get back into the world again because we were so fortunate on this movie to have all the greatest hits of all the video game characters. And it just, everything w- worked on this one movie. And I think you have to treat each movie like that. Now, I've done a sequel or two. But I never thought of Potter as being a sequel. Potter, to me, was one continuous long story. Mm. It is, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, I've never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Do you think, though, that, that, that some folks in the industry check out when they hear, mentally check out when they hear that a movie is going to be larger than life? Do they, do they think, well, do, do you think that some directors sort of just go on autopilot and they concentrate more on the visuals and not on the, the soul Maybe the actors just make sure they're talking to the tennis ball or whatever they're going to be dealing with in front of a green screen. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, because sometimes you watch these movies and they kind of disconnect because it feels like everyone's just taking a long lunch break. Exactly. And I, I, you know, for me, really the heart of Pixels, because I always admired Adam Sandler as an actor in certain movies like Punch Drunk Love Mm -hmm. and Funny People and... I thought Adam has to come at the. He has to get into this movie from his character. He has to treat it like he's got a character arc, and we need to surround him with great actors. So he's got Josh Gad, Michelle Monaghan, and Peter Dinklage, and everyone was working at a higher level because every the comedy was coming from within, from the characters. And then Kevin James, who was attached to the movie, I said, "Let's try something different. Let's put you in. Let's you're the president of the United States. Unexpected casting choice." And I said, channel a little Chris Christie in there while you're at it. You know? so, uh, <laughs> it's good too. Yeah. It's good, and he's uh, he pulls you know, it he's off. He's a good actor. Yeah. He uh, Kevin James is actually the, the the great surprise in this movie. I've always been a big fan of his mm-hmm. on television. His movies have been hit and miss for me, quite right. quite honestly. And I feel like this is a game changing opportunity for him. He really. Yeah, he's a he's a terrific actor, and I think everyone really stepped up to the plate in this movie, you know, in terms of acting. So that's uh, Chris Columbus joining us on the Jolt. It's uh, about thirty five past the hour. The movie, Pixels. Um, how when you're when you're when you're in the throes of making the movie, whether it's whether when you're on set with the actors or when you're in your editing process, how do you shut the noise out? Because movies like this. Movies with your name attached, movies with Adam's name attached, you know, Josh, any of you, you have a really great cast, Come with a, it comes with a lot of noise. Right. Expectations, we need this, everyone has notes in Hollywood, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, you, I mean, you're at the point where you don't have to listen, I don't right. think, but it's hard to turn your brain off or your, your ears off, isn't it? Yeah, I always, I, the philosophy since I started directing was listen to, listen to everyone around you. It can get annoying at times when people don't have good ideas, but what's great is if someone has a terrific idea that makes the scene better, that just, that, that's just wonderful. And I'll take the ideas from any, anybody, literally. If the craft service guy comes up and makes it, you know, has a note about somebody's wardrobe or something, you know, I love hearing that. Um, that's part of the job. You, you, you know, on Potter we had 800 people in, in, in oh, yeah, working yeah, yeah. For, in, in the crew, and you had to. I had to. I had to tone it out a little bit. But if somebody had a good idea, I'd listen. And, set, and you know, I've just used that philosophy all through. You know, every movie I've made. How do you know? How did you know when the movie was done, or was it a? You've passed your deadline. Give us the film. Um, 
I would keep sending. I, the key I learned on Potter was to keep sending visual effects back. You know, always say no. I never said no enough on the first Potter film, and I think the visual effects could have been a little bit better. But on this film, you know, they'd present me with a final visual effect, and I'd always make a final tweak to make it better and better and better until they finally said, okay. It's over. You have to release the movie. I would have been tweaking this for the next two years. So uh, <laughs> it's just, it's a really, um, it's just uh, to me to be able to have that directorial toolbox of CGI that we have now. It's, it's, it can be a bit of a Pandora's box as well because every, we see so many movies that are filled with CGI. This movie has a real uh, a reality base in terms of we built the sets. We built the Donkey Kong set was one of the most amazing things I've seen. You walk in and there were life-size platforms for the actors to literally. They what were, was uh, that like? It was, it was grueling. Because I used to the, play those games, man. Yeah. I, I used to play those games and just see it like that bit, you know, just see that. Well, the actors were, you know, 75, 50 to 75 feet in the air wearing harnesses, jumping over what would eventually be CGI barrels. And it was grueling for them because you know a lot of those a lot of those Donkey Kong ramps are going uphill and they're yeah. running uphill and it was intense. But you take that reality as opposed to creating the whole thing out of CGI and you pepper it with CGI and it gives the audience a real I don't know it gives them a hands-on feeling. It, it makes it feels real to the audience, which is important to me. Does this look the way it did in your head when you first started to imagine it? Uh, it looks better, I have to say. Yeah? You know, it really does. I really didn't think we could get to this level. It took us 16 months just to come up with the concept of the visual effects and designing it in 3D. And then finally, just a few weeks ago, we f completed the 3D. And to see it in 3D was just mind-blowing. You know, I would not suggest anybody do any mind-altering drugs before they see this movie. It's The centipede sequence alone can send you true. over the edge. It's very true. <laughs> it's just, you know, because I, I always wonder if it's ever possible to take what what's in your head and shake it out into reality. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing that you're able to make it even better. Well, I felt it was better. Sometimes, you know, you can never get there, you know. And I, yeah. usually what's in your head always changes because there's, a, there's, there's some other factor, some other reason it becomes better and more interesting. Do you ever think about drawing comics anymore? I haven't drawn comics in a while. You know, I'll do a caricature every now and then. I used to, you know, I used to work at, I would work at like uh, school fairs and, uh, and set up a booth and draw caricatures. That's what I was doing to make really? money when I was a teenager. Yeah. So I see these guys on the, whether I'm at the Embarcadero in San Francisco or you're walking to, in Times, and the guys are doing, in Times Square, doing caricatures. And I always feel for them because it's a, you know, you're it's not making a lot of world. money. It's a tough world out there. I don't, yeah. know how you, I don't know how anybody's ever done it, but what a, what a treat to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for coming to see us again. The movie is called Pixels. You know you're going to go see it. Chris Columbus, I can't wait to see you again. Thanks so much. Congratulations. This was great. Thanks a lot. Stick around, there's more to come on the Jolt.